0: Welcome to Ask Pastor Steve, and today I have three questions from listeners that we're going to cover. Here's the first one. A guy in our church, Cornerstone Community Church, his name is Cole. We only have one Cole. Y'all who are in this church know who that is. And he asked, I'm shortening his question a bit, what about Christmas, our children, and Santa Claus? You get the question. He explained it more. What do we or should we tell our kids about Santa? And he gives various options. Here's my advice. Now I'm going to say, this is advice, and I think it's good advice. It is, tell them the truth. Why? Because the Bible says, tell people the truth. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another. I think that includes your children. I think that includes Christmas. So if you want to tell them about historic St. Nick, cool. Tell them about that. That's awesome. Or um, if you want to tell them about Santa as a fun fiction, I'm all for that. I think that could be pretty cool. Hey, there's this thing we do this time of year. The time of year is really about Jesus, Jesus coming. You tell the whole story and all that, and that's the main focus. But one way we celebrate this is we have this pretend character. You know, like the hobbits pretend. You know how like Peter rabbits pretend. We have this pretend figure called Santa Claus, and et cetera, et cetera. You can make it fun. You can have them go visit Santa, and they go, ooh, this is so much fun, and it's all pretend. So you're not robbing them of the fun of a Santa Claus, but tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Is uh, is it true that Santa lives in the North Pole? Is it true that he has elves that work for him and make toys? Is it true that he has flying reindeer? Is it true he lands on your roof and he comes down your chimney with a bag full of toys? Is it true that he actually, my parents did this, they would tell us before we went to bed on Christmas Eve, they'd put out a, a cookie on a plate and a glass of milk and say Santa's gonna drink those and eat the, and the next morning they'd be gone. It's like proof that Santa was really there. Is, is that all true? Here's another reason why Debbie and I always wanted our kids to know that it wasn't Santa who gave the gifts, it was us. What's the biggest gift giving to your child in the year, the calendar year? It's Christmas, right? For sure. That's your greatest expression of generosity toward them. And you're telling them, he did it. No, man, I want my kids to know I did it. Like, I'm investing in them. I want you to know my generosity toward you. Feel my love and generosity toward you. I want you guys to know mommy and daddy gave you these gifts because we love you. And see, I want to be investing in the bank of their love toward me, their trust toward me, their appreciation of my generosity toward them. I don't want to waste Christmas on Santa Claus. I want to spend Christmas on my relationship to my kids as a parent. So that's where I would go. Tell them the truth, but you can tell them fictions and tell them you're the generous ones. That goes to good parenting. Thank you, Cole. Great question. Here's question number two. This one comes from Fred, last initial O, who is the father of somebody who's at CCC. I've met Fred. I know you. Hi, Fred, if you hear this. Great question. Here's Fred's question. If God knew that Adam and Eve would fall, why did he put them in the garden in the first place? Isn't that cruel? Good question. Here's an answer. Yes, absolutely. God knew. You know that. He's omniscient. He knows all. He foreknows all, by the way. He can only foreknow things because they are fixed. They're only fixed if he fixed them. He has predetermined and fixed the future. That's how he can foreknow it. He isn't merely learning about things. Well, I, I knew ahead of time what they would do. No, he's fixed things, that's how he can know them. But he has an, his eternal counsel, that's how he fixed everything that would ever happen in eternity past, and he's working it all out in time. Ephesians 1.11, he's the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God knew exactly what would happen in the garden, and God intentionally put Adam and Eve in that garden anyway. So why? We're asking the question, why did he allow sin? We're asking the question, why did he allow the fall? Here's why. Romans chapter 9 helps us with this. You can turn there and read it, and it's because it's right around verse 29, I think is the the center point of it all. And God put Adam and Eve in a garden and created that tree Every other tree you can eat, don't eat from that tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Why did he put that there? Why did he allow them to be tempted? Why did he allow them to fall? Because here's what God is up to, Romans chapter 9. God is up to showing the amazing nature of his divine attributes. God is... It's like if you put on something beautiful, you put something beautiful on display, God is putting the most beautiful thing himself on display, his attributes, his love, his grace, his mercy. He can only show the the, extra, the extravagant nature of his love. He can only show the extremities of his mercy if he allows people to become sinners and then shows them mercy. Romans 9 also says, and he wants to show his wrath because it shows how holy he is, how just he is, how terrible sin is, that he would even do that God's wrath. What if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known and that he might show mercy on vessels of mercy, even us? So, yes. It was good that God created a garden. It was good that God put Adam and Eve in it. It was good that God permitted the fall. Good comes from it. What's the good? A revelation of the amazing attributes and glory of God for all who love him to behold forever and ever and ever. Thank you, Fred. Great question. I got one more. This is from Don H., a member at Cornerstone Community Church. Hi, Don. Thanks for your question. You asked, the Bible says that we will judge angels. What exactly does this involve? Great question. It's kind of surprising what it involves. So let me say first, yes, the Bible says we will judge angels, 1 Corinthians 6.3. Paul asked the Corinthians who are afraid to judge matters within themselves, and they're going to unbelievers to court. And he says, don't you know that you'll even judge angels? But how and when and where will we judge angels? Answer, at the last day, at the day of judgment, when the fallen angels will be judged and cast into outer darkness. And when Jesus sits on his throne and judges them, guess who's there with him? We are. Revelation 3.21, Jesus says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Crazy. Crazy. So on Judgment Day, he's seated on his throne. He's judging the fallen angels as well as fallen people, reprobate people, people who reject him. And we'll be there with him participating in some way, agreeing with, maybe saying amen to his judgment on fallen angels. Somehow, Paul says, you'll be there in the throne area with Jesus. He says, seated, thou will sit with me on my throne when he's judging at the last day. So yes, we will judge angels. At the very least, we'll say, amen, when the fallen angels are judged. Great questions, Cole, Fred, and Don. Thank you. To everybody else who's not named Cole, Fred, or Don. send us some questions. We'll try to get to them. Thanks for being here today.